from the Wayne Sumner Studio. My recommendation is in honor of the British Bodie McBoatface. It's uh, Sonny McCarface. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina on 90.5 WASU-FM. You're driving and you think you start getting hungry and you're like, oh, I have a Dunkin' Donuts app on my car. Why not I just buy 12 donuts? Around the world on iHeartRadio and WASURadio.com. It's astonishing what you've done. You managed to have a three-car pileup on a road with a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. Right in front of the police station, too. So, uh, congratulations. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. I'm Loopy. On January 23rd, 2019. We've got a good show today. We're going to talk about several things about Apple. Definitely one, uh, Apple as an iPhone, not as in, like, Granny Smith. And then uh, China. China has gone to outer space. And uh, I, I absolutely love kind of how their mission has concluded. PBR, Pabst, Blue Ribbon, Boone is making a serious list, high ranking in a serious list when it comes to PBR and other various Boone news items as well. But I'm going to open up with a question here. Have you ever done something that you really know you shouldn't start doing? If it's not yes, then if the answer to that isn't yes, then I don't know who you are. Well, I just started doing something that I think I probably shouldn't try to do. Uh, I just messaged someone about trading for their car. I currently own two cars, so this isn't like buying a third. And one of them is for sale, but the one that's not for sale, I would consider trading uh, for the car that I have just seen on Facebook classifieds. I feel like that's just a bad idea, but I sent a message. I did it. We'll see what that turns into. So here we go. A headline uh, from... uh, I don't know where this is from. Gee whiz, I keep not posting where I get things from. Here's a headline written by Joe Pinkstone. So, uh, oh, there it is. Mail Online. Isn't that email? For Mail Online, it says, It's time to change your iPhone charging cables again. All caps, exclamation point. Apple's set to replace its current hardware. The, uh, what's it called? Lightning, because it's fast. Well, apparently it's not good enough. Apple is set to replace its current hardware with the USB-C connection favored by the devil, Android. The devil for, I guess, more than 50% of Americans. It's It's an unthinkable thing, Android. There's no reason to buy it. We must submit to the father company. Steve Jobs is a god. There are a lot of um, people out there that uh, currently make electronic devices. 
that are uh, just as good as, or if not better than, devices made by the company of uh, a man whom you worship who also happens to be dead. Now, I understand the, the frenzy around Steve Jobs and people's uh, cult-like devotion to him. But the company that was Steve Jobs' company is no longer Steve Jobs' company because Steve Jobs isn't there. The thinking process behind the uh, original Macintosh computers, uh, the thinking process behind the invention of the mouse, which actually wasn't Steve Jobs. That was a guy named Steve Wozniak. And uh, the invention of the smartphone, the oh-so-holy iPhone, the holiest of iPhones. That company is very different now than what it used to be. And what it really has now is an ego. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear this headline. Apple is set to replace its current hardware with a USB-C connection favored by Android. I'm pleasantly surprised. And I'm sick of this, like, home team versus away team mentality where you got to pick a side and no matter what happens, you root for it. Whether it's good or bad, it's like politics these days. People aren't making their own decisions. They're just picking a side. Well, people do that with technology too. But the problem is, is that if you pick Apple, you are stuck with Apple if you want to use all of your stuff in its full capacity. And Apple knows that, so they make their prices incredibly high. Well, this is against... The Apple we all know. It's going to benefit everybody, so you don't need to cry. If you're working in the SRC, you don't need to... I'm not going to say anything violent. Okay, when we come back, we're going to dive into this a little more. What is USB-C, for those of you who don't know? And then China. What have they done in space? I'm Loopy. Now is the time to panic. Apple is ditching, potentially, ditching the oh-so-beloved and oh-so-frustrating lightning port. I remember recently, within the past few years, they decided to go away with the uh, auxiliary jack on their phone, the headphone jack. I don't know what possible benefit there could be from that other than you have to buy more Apple products, which makes them more money. Just saying. Anyway. Apple is set to replace the uh, lightning port with a USB-C. You've heard of USB. USB-C is a type of USB cable. It's a normal USB on one end, and then it's a special type of smaller version on the other. And it's what's being currently fitted to uh, 
more modern Android phones and other devices. Tons of things will use this. Now, if you have an older design phone like I do that is uh, Android or whatever, I think Linux has a phone out too. But uh, if you have that, then you have like the USB mini. There's also a USB micro. There's also a USB A and B, but those are not fitted to smartphones. USB C, the reason why they keep changing this is because they figure out how to make it better. Supposedly, that's the difference between the old uh, Apple port, I don't even know what that was called, and then the, the current Lightning one. You know, because whether you like a company or not, you always have to understand that a company is about making money. If they don't make money, they can't be a company. So companies and making money long term go hand in hand. If one doesn't happen, the other doesn't long term. So I guess Apple must have crunched the numbers and said, you know what? USB-C is better than what we have. And it's going to cost us too much money to research something better. So let's just go to USB-C. They they've have to have looked at that. I don't understand. That's completely against everything that everybody knows Apple to be. And it, it, this is a very, very pleasant surprise. This is a good thing. Here's the article. It says Apple has already moved to the USB-C cable for the iPad Pro, which will make you think, why would they just do it for one thing? It seems like they're testing out, seeing how it works. The article says the change, if implemented, would render all current Apple chargers for future iPhones useless, meaning the cable you have now will not work with your future iPhone or current iPad Pro. If the move went ahead, it would allow the same charger cable to be used for both Apple and Android devices and other things that aren't even smartphones. That's the beauty of why Android uses the USB-C, because you can use that for whatever other piece of equipment you have that needs a USB. It'll probably have USB-C if it's new. Apple chargers sell for roughly 20 pounds, this article says, or $25. For an official cable, so for an official Apple charger. And replica versions are also available for far less, which is a good thing. Go, uh, this is, this is good for uh, making money. Capitalism, that's the word I was looking for. Pro-capitalism. Having more than just Apple make your stuff. USB-C is the uh, latest charger for many laptops, Android phones. It's currently used by the Samsung Galaxy S9, the Google Pixel 2, and the OnePlus 6. I think that uh, the OnePlus is more for the non-American market. Here's the kicker, though. USB-C was launched in 2014. That technology, you know how fast, you know, it seems like these days, if you want a phone for five minutes, it's out of date. Like, don't even think about a car the moment you drive it off the lot. It's depreciated 20%. If you have a piece of electronic equipment, tablet, phone, computer, headphones, you know, within five minutes, there's something better out there. You know, so how has it taken Apple so long to figure this out? USB-C was launched in 2014. It's five years old. The Android community has been using this stuff for years. 
half a decade. And it's taken Apple, I guess, five years to decide, hey, uh, we can't uh, figure out something better than this. So let's just go to it. The article kind of uh, builds on itself. It says existing docks, adapters, and other plug-in accessories will be incompatible should this change go through. So if that pesky little uh, lightning port to auxiliary cable attachment, uh, if you use one of those, yeah, that's also going to – you're going to have to buy another one. Just buy a phone with an auxiliary jack. You know, made by people who don't want to monopolize themselves. Maybe I can't say that anymore. Okay, when we come back here in just a minute, what has the Chinese done that – that that grammar's bad. What have the Chinese done? Well, they've gone to space. What did they do in space? Well, they went to the dark side of the moon to uh, see what's up. They sprouted plants on the moon. Yeah, they, they grew plants. And... Um, which was a first-time thing, but there's an issue with that. They uh, they forgot something kind of important. We'll see what that is. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. So China was trying to make a statement, and they did. Frankly, they they did make a statement. They went to space. They China's space program is now like legit. I don't know if that's a cool thing. I guess it's a cool thing at minimum. I don't know if that's like a good thing for us as the United States, or if that's a bad thing, or if that's a terrifying thing. But here's the thing. China's achievement is actually fairly remarkable. If you start thinking about how current technology works, the U.S., when we went to the moon, that spacecraft had as much computing power as a calculator. And one smartphone makes that spacecraft look like the biggest idiot of all time in comparison. But this is 2019, and China went to the moon. So what's impressive technologically? China didn't land on the side of the moon that we see. China landed on the dark side of the moon. Now, if you you don't know this, this will kind of be like a no-duh thing, but only one side of the moon faces us. Because of when the moon was formed, uh, back when it was molten, the heavier stuff all kind of went to one half. And so gravitationally, that half is pulled harder than the other half, so it kind of stays. It wobbles a little bit. But it kind of stays the same direction toward Earth while the Earth spins and rotates. Therefore, 
It's confusing, isn't it? One side of the moon faces the Earth the whole time. And uh, that's why we call the side we don't see the dark side of the moon, because to us, it's dark. We can't see it. But the dark side of the moon still sees the sun. It's not like the dark side of the moon is constantly dark. That's why the moon has phases. Anyway, China landed on the dark side of the moon. So what's, what, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the thing. If you have a remote-controlled device like uh, China's little space lander and you flew it out to the moon like China did and you landed on the side that faces us, which is what China did not do, then you can communicate to it. Those radio waves you send off from your controller to the robot and from the robot back to you aren't obstructed by anything. They go through the atmosphere, they go through space, they go to the object. That's good. What happens, though, when you land it on the dark side of the moon? Well, there's something in the way of your radio waves. And uh, the moon is too big for those things to pass through. The moon's a lot smaller than the Earth, but it's not like a little rock. It's, uh, at least from the standard our technology works, it's a big sucker. You can't send radio waves through it very well. So China had to make something to bounce the radio waves off of to get to the moon lander in order to communicate. So that is a huge technological achievement. Not only did they have to make a rocket that works and a landing system that works, they had to be able to communicate with their robot in a very non-straightforward way that really hadn't been used before. It's very impressive. Do you know what else is impressive? They have another first-time achievement. Here we are from uh, Ryan Brown published this. I didn't check where. It says seeds carried by China's... I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's something four. So I'm just going to call it China's four. Seeds, as in, like, plant seeds, carried by China's four lunar lander, have sprouted. That is as of January 15th. The seeds sprouted in outer space, marking the first instance of biological matter growing on the moon. China's four lunar probe hit headlines earlier in the month after it was reported to have successfully landed on the far side of the moon in a world first. Now a photograph has been released by the China National Space Administration, their, their version of NASA. According to the South China Morning Post, which shows cotton seeds sprouting in a sealed container. Now it's not like they went to the moon and put down some dirt and used a hoe and planted the seeds and watered and, you know, waited. No, no, they're in, a, they're in a sealed container. They were very close to being sprouting when they were launched so that we wouldn't have to wait very long for them to try to grow. Basically, the moment this thing landed, the seeds were ready to sprout. And they did. They hath sprouted in a sealed container. We'll be back here in a second, but it says, while plants... 
have been grown in space on the International Space Station, none had ever been grown on the moon. And this is especially weird because nobody's on the moon. It's a robot. So this is like testing farming with robots on other planets. Think about that for a minute. That's a good little app state thought. Okay, we're going to dissect this a little more when we get back. And we're also going to talk about PBR. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. What would you grow if you could grow plants on the moon? I'll tell you what China grew. Uh, they grew cotton. Which, uh, without much context, seems a little weird. And I can't find what else they grew. I think. So plants have been grown in space before. But uh, this, what China has done recently, this month, is grow plants on the moon. But don't don't start freaking out because um, they were in containers and the containers were prepped on Earth and then just kind of shipped to the moon. But it still takes some effort for these things to sprout. And even though this robot that they landed, this lander, is on the dark side of the moon, which in itself is an incredible accomplishment, the Chinese have sprouted cotton on the moon, which just can be seen as a precursor for so many incredible things that people can start trying to do. Especially as time goes on, companies like SpaceX, obviously NASA, the Russians can do it. Now the Chinese can do it. Sending rockets is going to become much more mainstream. It's not an insane, crazy thing like it was during the space race. But it's, I wouldn't say it's mainstream to see a rocket launch or to hear about one. We're, it's going to be a, a, just a regular part of life as time goes on. Until the uber green people finally figure out that uh, rocket fuel is very bad for the planet and a rocket launch uses a lot of rocket fuel and dumps rocket parts into the ocean where it can spear sharks, whales, and manatees. So until they figure that out. But this, this landing on the moon, sprouting stuff, I mean, you can start thinking of farming on the moon. You know, one of the big issues we're going to face as, we, as the Earth approaches 10 billion human residents is how on Earth do we feed everybody? Well, if we can figure out a way to start planting stuff on the moon, then... Uh, you know, you can increase the production of food, or at least certain types, by 
a ton. Now, the whole deal of how to harvest it and bring it back is obviously yet to be figured out. But it seems we're not limited to this planet anymore. And kind of sadly, it it wasn't the U.S. that figured that one out. Or at least did it first. The article I've been reading from uh, says the breakthrough could pave the way for more biological life to be grown on the moon with a, within a contained environment. And on top of just the fact of what they're doing, this also does show what China, the country, is capable of. The article says this news also highlights China's space exploration ambitions. The country is hoping to send a spacecraft to Mars next year and to eventually send manned missions to the Red Planet. Now, if you're into this kind of news, you know that that is Elon Musk's goal. Owner of Tesla, the owner of SpaceX, former seller of flamethrowers. He wants to send people to Mars. I wouldn't be surprised if when he's old, he decides, yeah, I'm just going to try. I'm going to go to Mars. Wouldn't be shocked. I guess we have a new space race on our hands. China versus Elon Musk. Now, it seems I have lost my uh, my article that says, uh, in, in better words, what happened to the things that were grown by China. So the Chinese did sprout things on the moon, but uh, they did forget something. They, uh, they, they, they forgot that the moon's very cold, and uh, I know where the article is. I'll bring it up later. Let's just say those sprouts are no longer alive. It's very cold on the moon. There's no uh, there's no atmosphere keeping the heat in. They would like some of our global warming up there on the moon. China though, going to space, growing plants on the moon. About to go to another break. I'm so glad my show's 2 hours now. This is just going by way too fast. PBR Pabft. However you say that. Pabft blue ribbon. They rank they're sellers every year. They let people that uh, sell their beer know where they rank in the world in sales of PBR. Boone is making it big on that list. Should we be proud of it? I think so. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Boone Saloon specifically, not just the town of Boone, the restaurant, bar, arcade, pool hall, music venue, Boone Saloon, not just ranking in the top 100. We'll be back with that. I'm Loopy. Support College Talk Radio on WASU. More at loopyradio.com. I'm with 
big, big news for Ben. We can add this to our list of great town achievements that are ultimately somewhat pointless. We can add it to the list of uh, the Tweety Railroad, I guess. Not the uh, not the current place, but the actual railroad that no longer exists because the owner stopped paying for it. And uh, App State beating Michigan, great thing, but uh, you know, we can add another thing to it: Boone Saloon, number five in the world in PBR sales. That's right, in the entire world. Of places that sell PBR, Boone Saloon is at number five. Before that, though, I just got to point this out. I I was watching some funny videos the other night with a friend, and it's absolutely hysterical. These these people made an entire channel off of the fact that um, two, I guess, roommates at these guys' house uh, can do a Kermit voice and an Elmo voice, so they bought a Kermit and an Elmo puppet, and they just make hilarious videos acting like Kermit and Elmo are real. And uh, after watching various videos with puppets in them, I get on Facebook to look for the uh, the article on China, and it brings up an Amazon advertisement. And what is in the Amazon advertisement? Puppets. Apparently I'm in the market for puppets. Well, here's the deal. They're five stars, so maybe I should check it out. Maybe I didn't know I really needed a puppet. Or maybe I don't really need a puppet. Let's put that away. Boone Saloon number five. PBR sales worldwide. From the 18th, five days ago. We're talking Democrat. Boone Saloon was recently noted as having the fifth highest pabst blue ribbon beer sales in the world, according to information provided by the company. They're still independently owned. They've been around for a long time, selling really cheap beer for a long time. Boon Saloon owner, Skip. Man, that's a complicated last name, dude. I'm just going to say the owner. I'm sorry. The owner of Boon Saloon said we had a little aim to reach the top 10. When we found out we were number five in the known universe, we were pretty stoked. That's a good quote in the known universe. I guess it's possible somewhere we don't know, some alien country, that uh, someone else is selling more PBR. I guess it's always a possibility. The owner said it's got a cult following, even if it's a mass cult. Isn't that true? And he wagers that, uh, I guess, at looking at per capita, Boone Saloon would be number one in PBR sales. So, yeah, if, if you look at the market size... I mean, I can't see anyone in the top four having less than, you know, 40,000 people even possibly drinking it. Remarkable. The things we can do when we all join together, except I'm gluten-free, so I'm not part of this. I will say, though, first place I ever had a drink was Boone Saloon. But here we go. I found the article from... um, about the Chinese sending uh, plants to the moon, trying to grow stuff. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, and also the person that I messaged about a car has messaged me back, so I'm 
quite distracted at the moment. Fox News said this. I'm just going to read it. Thank you, Fox News. Chris, you have a very complicated last name as well, so I will not mention it. I'm just going to read it before we go to break. China has said the cotton seedlings planted on the moon have died as a result of extreme cold temperatures on the lunar surface. During a news conference on Wednesday, the project's leader said temperatures fell inside the biosphere on the far side of the moon. The plants withered and eventually were unable to withstand the conditions. He was quoted as saying that the temperature had fallen to minus 62 degrees Fahrenheit and could plunge to as low as 292 degrees Fahrenheit. Negative 292 degrees Fahrenheit. Just to give you an idea of how cold that is, the coldest temperature ever recorded on Earth in Alaska by the Soviets, minus 128 The moon can fall to minus 292. It's pretty cold. Says there was no onboard mechanism to keep the experiment warm without the aid of sunlight. Well, guess what? The moon has day and night as well, so they kind of rain out at daylight. Didn't think of that one, did you? Been stuck in a... uh, science lab with no windows for so long that you forgot that there's a thing like day and night. All right. Can you believe that, though? Fifth in the world in PBR sales. More boo news when I come back. I'm looping. PBR, fifth in the world. Boone Saloon, thanks to the, the people of Boone. Looking at another thing, though, beer-related. I'm such a college student, aren't I? Boonshine Expansion, the uh, local company Boonshine from Watauga Democrats, says with a fully operating brewery facility at 465 Industrial Park Drive, Boonshine Brewing Company is now in the process of constructing its new restaurant and tasting room on the property. So yet another local brewery that's going to offer food as well. I think it's a great idea. The restaurant and tasting room space, which uh, the co-owner, the owner, uh, estimates to be 3,500 square feet, will include indoor and outdoor seating, two glass garage doors connecting the two uh, areas, The current blue building will be repainted uh, darker, and uh, picnic tables will be installed. They want it to be a real destination for when you're on break. The target for completion is late spring or early summer. So uh, fairly soon, end of the the semester, I suppose. So now everyone can all, all the students and faculty can now anticipate the end of the semester. And go to the newly uh, operational restaurant and eating space at Boonshine Brewing Company. When uh, when describing the restaurant, he says, uh, despite not quite having a menu locked down, it will be Americana with very good variety and price points that will work for the high country. That's what they said. 
I don't think you just say price points that work for the high country. I think you just got to say price points that people will like. People everywhere like a good price on food. Good food at a good price. Every market wants that at least. You know, I don't. I don't go to a rest. I don't combine. I don't compare two restaurants and think both have good food. One has good prices and one has bad prices. I'll go to the one with bad prices. No, we all know. High country prices. Boonshine. I like that name too. It's good. Farmers market. We're coming back up to that. Watauga Farmers Market accepting vendor applications until January 31st. So effectively, you've got like seven more days. My article I got uh, says uh, every week from May to November, Watauga County Farmers Market, they got stuff like meats, produce, cheeses, dries and fresh cut flowers. Plants, local plants, delicious edibles, variety of crafts. Best part, it's all local. It's a cool place. It's a fun place to go check out. They uh, they use it for parking, uh, the same lot. So all the people who rent parking spots, they're going to move their cars out during uh, the farmer's market. The article says the Watauga County Farmer's Market is accepting vendor applications for the 2019 season until January 31st. Application forms for new vendors have been posted on the market's website, Watauga County Farmers Market, all one word, dot org. I'm sure if you just type in Watauga County Farmers Market, you will find it. All applications are due with a $25 application fee. They say the uh, the farmers market is 100% producer only market, meaning that all of the products sold at the market are made locally by member vendors. Sounds sweet. The farmer's market. This is the kind of place, you know, Charlotte's got a farmer's market, but who the heck farms in Charlotte? This is the kind of place where you get some really genuinely good stuff. That's one of the benefits of being out in the middle of nowhere, kind of. Stick around. I'm Loopy. From the Wayne Sumner Studio. How do you think when it says there's a 60% chance of rain? Because usually when there's like a 60% chance of rain, it rains some. Which would mean if it's raining, it's a 100% chance of rain. But it's really a 60% chance of rain. So what is it really talking about when it says 60%? Like if it's 90%, you expect it to rain. But it's 90%. It's not 100%. But we all, we all know it's going to rain when it's a 90% chance of rain. So that's 90% as opposed to 100% of what if it's going to rain? I don't know. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina. If, if the average of the Earth is going up by 3 degrees... And Charlotte, North Carolina's average has gone up by like 10, apparently. That means somewhere else is going down 7. This is Loopy Radio, Hour 2. I'm Loopy. I, um, I do love this school. I'm going to start off with that. I feel like this is one of those moments I'll have in the future if I have a, a little kid. You know, you start off by saying, I love you, but App State, I love you, 
There's some flaws going around, but it's okay. I'm flawed too. But I'm also on the radio, so I get to talk about you. On your radio, actually. Interesting how things come full circle. So you know the the local utilities in town, or maybe you don't know, and now you do. The local utilities in town, the NRLP, New River Light and Power, NRLP, also known as NRLP. They've got the uh, solar-powered electric car filling station out by Legends. I believe they're responsible for the giant twirly fan we've got on the top of the mountain over there, our wind turbine. They're in charge of uh, water and electricity for those of you who purchase water and electricity. A lot of people in the area have wells, I understand. Very few people generate their own electricity, so uh, I'm sure you buy from the NRLP. New River Light and Power, owned by App State. App State claims to be as green as possible, or at least says things that, like, we all need to be green. You know, which is why we have the electric car filling station, which uh, runs off electricity. They've got the solar panels on top, but you know the solar panels don't power the cars entirely, especially when we have the weather of this area, which includes clouds and rain. Solar panels don't work as well in clouds and rain. Well, NERLP, NRLP, on Thursday, and uh, I think they might have meant Tuesday, in this article from the Talking Democrat, they're either talking about last Thursday or they're talking about Tuesday because this was written yesterday. I feel like. Who knows? That doesn't really matter. Appalachian State University's Board of Trustees signed a resolution that will save New River Light and Power customers and the university hundreds of thousands annually in energy costs. Take a... Uh, a bold uh, thought here. No idea where I was going with that for a second. Think about this. A power company has figured out how to save you power by making a change of where the power comes from. Now, do you think a money-saving move is going to be green or not so green, according to green standards? If, if they're going to save us hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, and, you know, the NRLP is owned by App State, so effectively they're saving themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to go towards football or something, probably. Are they, are they making a big solar field, or are they switching to natural gas? I don't think I even need to answer that one. Let's let the article do it for me. The resolution will allow the university to purchase natural gas beginning in 2022 at a controlled and reduced rate through Public Energy Authority of Kentucky. This contract presents a projected savings for NRLP customers between $300,000 and $400,000 per year. That's a big deal. Market of our size? Think about that. We've got what? With students, just under 40,000 residents. 
and uh, we're going to cut up to $400,000 per year in energy costs. You do the math on that. It's a good chunk of change per person. I'm telling you to do the math because I can't. NRLP, along with nine other municipal uh, utilities, will enter a 30-year agreement, effective January 2022, with NTE Carolinas, as NTE's gas-fired electric plant located in Kings Mountain will supply NRLP with electricity. I talked about that a year ago. Appalachian NTE entered an agreement in 2016 under which NTE agrees to sell electricity to Appalachian beginning in January of 2022. These things always made me think, though. I I think NTE purchases purchases a lot of electricity, and we're purchasing from NTE. How's that saving us money? Why not just buy from the organization that made it in the first place? It just just doesn't make sense. We'll figure this one out. I'll back in a second. I'm looping. Wow. Let's try that again. I'm loopy. See, now the name's starting to make some sense. So the NRLP is owned by App State, and they they power us, and they give us water. Unless you have a well, obviously, then that's that's your problem, because you got to pay for it. That's the way it is. It's difficult up here in the high country. You got to respect the uh, the crews that are out and about. You know, because I'm from Charlotte, and trees fall on power lines and whatever. You know, and these power lines aren't like on the side of a mountain. You know, if anything, they're on a slight incline. Probably a fairly flat area. Probably in a very beautiful, extremely wealthy part of town. With a lot of nice cars to look at. Up here in the high country, I mean, if a main power line gets taken out to like a neighborhood, it could be in the middle of a forest on the side of a cliff for all you know. You've got you've got to respect the people that are out there. And one of my favorite memories from my childhood, I don't know if this billboard is still around. But my grandfather had a house up on Beach Mountain. And so we go up there two, maybe even three times a year for like three or four days. Every now and then a week. Family would all hate each other by the end of it, but we did it for a week a few times. It's funny how when you go on vacation for a long time, you all start to hate each other. And then you go back home for like four months, and it's not like the hate that was experienced on vacation. But you're there for longer than a week. I don't know. Anyway, we'd be going to Beach Mountain. And I can't remember if this uh, billboard was near Boone or if it was near Banner Elk. But it was a billboard advertising people that uh, cut tree limbs, I believe, in the high country. Or maybe it was for power lines. 
But it, all the billboard really was that I can remember, it had words and I can't remember them. It had this picture of this big burly dude with like a nice looking mustache posing, like legit posing, with a chainsaw while dangling from a tree branch with like a cliff behind him. Fantastic marketing. Talk about marketing that uh, you remember. I bet that'll be one of those weird memories that I remember for the rest of my life. And I'll be some old grandpa someday. Maybe. And I will tell the little kids about a man with a burly mustache who posed with a chainsaw on the side of a cliff. And they will somewhat chuckle while they all murmur to themselves that grandpa said that joke last week and the week before and every week before of their lives. Because that's what grandpas do. They tell the same jokes. So uh, NT, uh, NRLP and NTE, lots of abbreviations starting with N. Uh, they're working together to power the high country, especially starting in January of 2022, where they have a new long-term agreement. Appalachia and NTE will be working together they signed this in 2016. According to NTE's website, the electricity will be generated by, quote, one of the cleanest and most efficient plants in the nation. Kings Mountain Energy Center generates significantly more electricity from the same amount of fuel as other plants, resulting in greater efficiency and dramatic drop in emissions. That's great. Compared to other gas plants, it sounds that uh, that's pretty green. It is still natural gas, though. But it's going to save us a ton of money. Three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars for the for the market. That's hundreds of dollars per person. That's like nearly a thousand bucks. Or maybe it is a thousand bucks. Kind of, I guess, kind of depends on how many people. Are in this market, it might expand to more than just boon, but they're just saying boon. Lots of money, though. That shows it's difficult to actually be green. Electric cars, supposedly green, not really. They're marketed as green. Expensive to make, expensive to buy. Solar panels. Expensive to make, not super efficient, expensive to generate electricity. Even nuclear, it's expensive and it's dangerous. So you're facing lawsuits possibly. People don't like it. Even though the U.S. has very few instances of issues with nuclear plants and none of them have ever exploded like Chernobyl or had issues like the one in Japan. That was because of a tsunami, for crying out loud. Natural gas. Appalachian's chief sustainability officer, Lee Ball, said partnerships like these enhance the university's ability to explore renewable options. There you go. Earlier I was saying that NRLP is owned by App State. So in the NRLP... Signs a deal that saves them money, therefore, uh, in, well, it saves, 
the prices on NRLP's money go down, which in turn means App State is saving money. You see what I'm getting at here? So if App State is saving like 200 grand a year that they would be spending otherwise, and that's 200 grand more to spend on renewable options. It allows them to explore renewable options, as said by Chief Sustainability Officer Lee Ball. It's not shocking. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. I kind of had a little epiphany there while I was reading that article before I went to break. I never really thought about it that way. when I chose this article for this show. Look at this. The NRLP is owned by App State. So let's just replace the words NRLP with App State. App State makes a change that should save itself and its customers three hundred dollars to $400,000. AppState is a bigger one of those companies, one of those customers. So it's probably saving over a hundred grand. It might even be saving around two hundred grand per year. All right. Appalachian's chief sustainability officer Lee Ball said partnerships like this enhance the university's ability to explore renewable options. So it seems App State is going for like a two steps forward, one step back kind of mentality. That's fine. Go for it. I'm not against uh, sustainable sustainable stuff. Uh, I kind of am against uh, paper straws that like dissolve while you drink your drink. Do you think that's a little bit uh, unnecessary? But when looking for an electricity source, yes, absolutely, we need to try to find something sustainable. As time goes on, we're all going to use more electricity. That's not in question. That shouldn't surprise anybody. We still need to look to hydrogen. The difficulty with that is that hydrogen, when by itself, uh, doesn't really stay by itself, kind of combines... But if it stayed by itself, it would leave Earth. It would eventually find its way out of the atmosphere and just leave. The Earth can't keep it in. We're not big enough. That's why the uh, the outer planets in the solar system, that's why they're so big. Nothing can leave. That's why they're so much huge, so much bigger compared to the inner planets. Venus, Earth, Mars, Mercury. We can't keep hydrogen. So if we isolate it, which is difficult to do, we have to use it or store it in some sort of a way. Might be kind of difficult. People are trying to get hydrogen done. It's just, it's expensive. NRLP. Here's something interesting uh, that's happened this past the past few months. 
If you don't like cars, especially performance cars, this will bore you to death. A lot of people have already left the recreation center, I see, so I've already bored a lot of people to death. The Toyota Supra, though, is a pretty legendary car, especially the fourth generation. One of the uh, star cars from Fast and Furious, the orange Supra. Well, there's a new one that has come out. And also another legendary car that a new version has come out. The Shelby GT500, made by Ford. Specifically the uh, Shelby division, named after American car uh, legend Carol Shelby. There are two new versions of these cars out. The GT500 hasn't had too much press. It uh, it should be wicked fast. And uh, has a lot of very clever aerodynamic work to it that adapts as you drive and corner and go into straightaways to give you the most grip as possible. Toyota Supra, though, has actually been rather disappointing. Its engine is made by BMW, not uh, Toyota. The engine is smaller than people think it should be. The car is uglier than people wanted it to be. Even though it has pieces and bits that pay homage to Toyota's famous Toyotas in the past, it, it just doesn't look right. Especially when you're talking about this being the uh, predecessor, the successor, excuse me, to the uh, legendary Generation 4 Supra, the Mark IV Supra. Nonetheless, Shelby GT500 number one and Toyota Supra number one have just sold recently for charity auction. And this shows, A, how much people love cars, and B, how much money will, people are willing to give to charity when there is a good uh, incentive for them as well. We'll cover it in just a minute. You can start thinking about uh, how much money these cars sold for at a Barrett-Jackson auction in Scottsdale, Arizona recently. Shelby GT500, Toyota Supra. Not cheap cars, but not crazy expensive cars either. You can start thinking about that as we go into break here in just a second. And also another car getting into that is a Ford GT Heritage Edition with the uh, throwback Gulf uh, livery, as they say. Livery. It looks good. All you car geeks can now start researching all these things. I'll give you a little hint, though. I'll say one of them right now before we head off. Into the, well, I guess the last quarter of the show tonight. The Mustang sold $1.1 million. The car's not worth that much, but uh, it was a good enough incentive, incentive to give to charity. Ford is making it for no profit. They're actually taking a hit. By making it 1.1. I'm Loopy. College Talk Radio. Loopy without banned substances. I'm Loopy. I've asked this question a lot with uh, various people. If you spent 
like millions and millions of dollars on a car. Is it even drivable? And then that brings up another question. If a car can't drive, is it a car? So if you've bought a car for millions of dollars and therefore it's undrivable, is it even a car? I think that that's kind of where you start combining cars and art or cars and historical objects. If it's too expensive to drive, it's it's not a car because it's not drivable. It's just an object that looks like a car. You know, you start thinking of like classic Ferraris. One recently sold for $70 million. You are never going to see that car in the parking lot at Walmart for many, many, many reasons. Any flaw to that car could take millions of dollars off its value. It's undrivable. I know I'd go as far as saying is it really kind of depends on how much money you have. But if you have a million dollar car and I'm not driving it, it's an investment. I once saw a TV show and a guy owned a a 90s Ferrari and a uh, Lamborghini Diablo. He drove them, but he said he wouldn't sell them because he was keeping them so he could pay for his retirement. Not uh, not a terrible idea. It's more fun than watching the stock market. I'll tell you that. Just take your monthly drive in your purple Diablo. Pretty sweet. Well, recently at uh, Barrett-Jackson, I was actually watching this auction on TV because I am that much of a dork. And I am also that single. I was watching Barrett Jackson and uh, the the one from Scottsdale, Arizona. I was watching it live. This article, uh, where is this from? Who knows? I didn't save that. It says the first 2020 Ford Mustang Shelby GT500 fetched $1.1 million at Barrett Jackson. VIN 001. Brought in that much money because 100% of the proceeds were earmarked for Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. What a great, fun way to raise over a million dollars for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. The GT500. The lucky auction winner won't get the car that they actually saw at the auction. Because going on the uh, is it a car thing, that wasn't really a car. It wasn't drivable. Rather, they'll get the chance to pick their favorite color and options before it gets built. The car that crossed the block was a pre-production model. It, It, like, wasn't even a car. It just looked like one. And then comes the 2020 Toyota Supra. Highly, highly anticipated. People have been asking for one of these for years. The most recent Supra that was made was made 
close to 20 years ago now. Great car. The engine in it is regarded as one of the greatest engines of all time. In my mind, the car is one of the greatest looking cars of all time. It's also a sports car, so it's fun to drive. It was in a great movie. It's iconic. People want another Supra. From everything I've read, the new Supra is not meeting a single expectation that people had for it. It is not as good looking. Uh, In many ways, it's not as powerful. Uh, It will be slightly faster, but uh, not that much different. It probably will not be as as easy to modify. It is not as cheap. And uh, probably not going to be as reliable. Because instead of Toyota building the engine, the engine is built by BMW. Although that is a great car company, in recent years, BMW engines have not been known as being reliable. So the Supra has not met expectations. And in another way, in this auction, it did not meet expectations for how much it sold. And it didn't meet expectations in a very good way in this case. It destroyed the GT500's money it brought in. The GT500 brought in $1.1 million. The bid that won the Supra the other day, $2.1 million for a Toyota Supra. This car is supposed to be like a blue-collar hero. It's supposed to be the sports car that's owned by just the average person who saved up a little extra money for that cool car. It just fetched $2.1 million. And just like the GT500... This car was for charity. It's exciting. I think this is a uh, a fantastic way, a super fun way to raise money for charity. Why not? You get to build a cool car that someone gets to actually own. You build a cool car that people get to see. Build a cool car for the fun of it. And then you raise $2.1 million for charity. This goes to the Bob Woodruff Foundation and the American Heart Association. $2.1 million. We'll touch on the last little piece from this when we come back. I'm Lou B. I'm Lou P. So uh, if you had the means, if you had the means, would you spend $2.1 million on it for charity for a Toyota Supra? Because here's what I'm thinking. There, there are other ways out there to give money to charity. A, you could just give money to charity. But it is always fun to have an incentive. Would you buy a Toyota Supra or would you buy like a house? One of the more fun things I had to I got to talk about with people at my internship this summer, and I talked about it on my show too, but the um the dream home giveaway in North Carolina for the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. They sell like fourteen thousand tickets for a hundred dollars each. All that money goes to St. Jude. Local 
Charlotte, usually businesses, team up to, uh, and people who just want to donate, team up to build a house. And then the $100 tickets all go into a raffle and somebody wins a house. It's pretty cool. It's not only, so like if you personally can't give much to St. Jude, but you want to, you could give that $100 for that ticket. And you know that you're giving money to a great cause. But there also is the fun, too, of of you knowing that you have a chance at winning a house. A part of me would enjoy um, winning a house. I think I might enjoy winning that over a Supra. Now, if it's one of those older Supras, that's a different story. No, I'd still take the house. Barrett Jackson Auction. They sold two cars uh, that I've already talked about. The the, uh, the new GT500 that doesn't exist yet sold for $1.1 million. That money goes to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Someone also bought a 2020 Supra, which doesn't exist yet. $2.1 million. Bob Woodruff Foundation and the American Heart Association will get that money. Just like the GT500, the car that was on display at the auction is not the one going to the owner. Production hasn't even started yet. It was another model. The owner will take possession of the first Supra later this year. The Supra owner also will not get the chance to uh, spec the car as they want. The person who bought the Mustang can basically make it look however they want it to. Pick the color, pick basically everything on it. Super owner will get it as uh, Toyota wants to make it, and that's matte gray, red mirror caps, and matte black wheels with a red interior. It's not bad looking, but uh, not custom. For the extra million dollars, you do not get to customize your Supra. Ford also uh, donated another car to auction, the first Ford GT Heritage Edition. Complete with a throwback golf livery, livery, however British you are, at Barrett Jackson Scottsdale. That one fetched an impressive 2.5 million. This car is very different, though, than the GT and the, uh, well, at the Shelby GT500 and the, uh, the Supra. This is a Ford GT. This is a race car built for the road. million, all of which will be given to the United Way for Southeastern Michigan. Very fitting. All told, Ford donated some $3.6 million to charity in the past week from two cars. See, I just hope that one day I can be in position to... uh, to A, be able to buy myself a fun car, and B, be able to give that much money to a good cause. A cause that helps people. A cause that needs money, big amounts of money, in order to help people. Cars for charity. Houses for charity. Basically anything for charity. Here's something interesting to think about. I'll probably close the show with this, and I'm going to start off with the... Um, With the headline here before we go to break. 
the four-cylinder Chevy Silverado got worse MPG miles per gallon than the V8 version. The four-cylinder gets worse MPG than the V8. The engine that is more than twice as big with twice as many cylinders. How on earth is that possible? Well, sometimes looking eco doesn't make you eco. Sometimes it comes down to the driver instead of the car. I'll get into this a little bit more. But even with electric cars, you look eco. Oh, you are not eco. The only eco that you're being eco to is your wallet if you have an electric car. Because filling it up is cheap. You're not saving the planet. You're like destroying central China is what you're doing. Except you just don't see it because it's on the other side of the world. All right, we'll be back here in a second. For the end of the show. Four-cylinder Chevy Silverado. Worse MPG than the V8. V8's for everyone. More power, as Jeremy Clarkson would say. We'll figure out why when we come back. It's getting late here in Ben. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. Closing out uh, here tonight on a very rainy evening. Kind of gross. Lots of sound of the rain hitting the window. We actually have a lot of hail damage on the side of our window. It's pretty gnarly. Think about this. It has been tested. The four-cylinder Chevy Silverado, that's their pickup truck, got worse MPG than the V8 version. This goes to show that it's not about the size of the engine. It's about how you drive a lot of times. I remember there was an old Top Gear segment. Jeremy Clarkson drove a uh, BMW M5. No, excuse me. He drove a Prius, a Toyota Prius, and followed a BMW M5 around their track for a very long time. All he had to do in the Prius is keep up with the M5. The BMW M5 is... It's a four-door car, but it's it's pretty darn sporty. Not made for fuel efficiency whatsoever. The M5 drove at like 80 miles an hour around this track. The Prius, all it had to do was just keep up, which it could, and it did. They drove it for several hours. Everyone knows the Prius is supposed to be like eco, you know, save fuel. Well, when they looked at uh, the MPG for each car... The thirsty BMW M5 actually had better fuel efficiency than the Prius. And the reason why is because the Prius struggled to drive at that speed for a long period of time. So it's not about the car you have. It's about how you drive the car. So don't get rid of your old car because it's not eco. To quote this same guy, Jeremy Clarkson, if you want to be eco, don't build the bloody thing in the first place. Use what you have. 
Be sustainable. Quit buying new stuff. Quit buying new phones, too. The folks at a Car and Driver, this article I have says, uh, says it has a publication like Horse and Rider or Sloop and Helmsman, Helmsman, but for cars. It recently tested out Chevrolet's new 2019 Silverado 1500 truck, both uh, the new 2.7 liter engine, four cylinder engine, and the 5.3 liter V8. That's huge. To their surprise, the V8 got better gas mileage than the engine almost half its size. It shows that sometimes a smaller engine working harder can be thirstier than a bigger, lazier engine. Same type of thing. The article says, sure, uh, the window stickers may say the four-cylinder Silverado gets a combined score of 20 miles per gallon, which frankly is pretty bad. While the big V8 gets slightly less than 18 miles per gallon. That's what the stickers say. It says the V8 gets 2 MPG less. Car and driver decided to run their own tests. A 75 mile an hour highway uh, test run. And uh, they call it the highway fuel economy test. The results are surprising. The smaller engine only managed 18 miles per gallon over 200 miles. The V8 got 21 MPG. Despite, even though it was the same car, it had different engines. A V8 engine is way heavier than a four-cylinder engine. So the V8 truck was heavier than the four-cylinder truck by several hundred pounds. Steel is very heavy. And it got 3 MPG better. If you want to be eco, don't build the bloody thing in the first place. Just quit flooring it at every light when it turns green. I noticed that recently. I'm currently driving a an old Toyota Corolla. The internet says it should be getting in around like 32 mpg. Well, after driving it aggressively in the city for about a week, I refueled it and saw that I was getting about 24 mpg. I then drove it more normally and got it back up to around 30 mpg. It's a real thing. Not uh, not super unrealistic. Doesn't matter what car you have. If you want to be eco, app state, carpool, that works. Don't drive uh, aggressively. Don't drive slowly. Drive the speed limit, for crying out loud. That's another crisis we're having. But don't floor it whenever the light goes green and don't brake too much. That's another thing. The, mo- the least fuel efficient thing you can do is brake. It's true. You're literally turning motion into heat. And then you have to hit the gas again. So quit braking because you went over 35 miles an hour in a 35 zone. If you're going 36, it's okay. You don't need to brake. I'll quit lecturing. I'll be back in a week. I'm looking.